0: Hello,
1: I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com.
0: So I'm reading this uh, leadership book uh, a few years back, and I probably only got through the first chapter. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> but the chapter started with a quote. And, uh, oh, pardon me, Art? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Whoa, well, you know, our sound guy. Mike, that guy.
0: You know, I was doing the podcast fourth here. fourth
2: seat at the podcast. I'm doing the podcast. It's <laughs> like having Elijah at the Jeez. dinner table.
0: Welcome to the Ransom Heart Podcast. <laughs> Today I have Art, our tech guy, just kind of at liberty, and joined by <laughs> both... uh Morgan Snyder, and Alan Arnold. I wanted to read a quote from this business book I read, and the quote is, Every successful enterprise requires three men. Huh, there's three at the table. Every successful enterprise requires three men. A dreamer, a businessman, and a son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, by Peter MacArthur in 1904. So... But here we are. There's businessman, a dreamer, and a son of a bitch. Do we want to do self-identifying? or we'll <laughs> rocks, get... paper,
2: scissors? Yeah. We'll figure it out.
0: <laughs> um, we wanted to just, the three of us, get together and just to talk about and enjoy one another and some of the stories and realities of being a part of a team, being a part of an enterprise, both currently and in the past, where – you're not the king, you're not the ruler, you're not the head guy, and you're serving. And some of the uh, tensions and realities and truths and looking back, just some of the humor of being in a, a place of supporting and serving another. Yes.
1: So, Craig, let me describe a scene for you that I think exemplifies this. A few weeks ago, we had one of our events, and usually on the event weekends, The team that sets everything up, but not the speaking team, will come in an evening early. And those are always my favorite night of the whole event, whether it's a captivating or whether it's a men's event, because that team that night, it's just such a rich time of fellowship. We do some work in the afternoon, but then we have the whole evening to go to dinner together, to sit back, talk. No attendees are at the camp yet. None of the speakers are at the camp yet. And it's just a time— where the workers, the team, are there just laughing, enjoying. And we had probably six or seven of us there to the point where I had tears coming out of my eyes from the stories, Hmm. the laughter, Hmm. the picking on each other and knowing them enough to know, oh, this is going to be a great story on her or him, or they know this from the last event, but I've never heard that story. Hmm. And so that rich fellowship that... You really only get from being part of a team, and that's not necessarily the person charging the hill, it's the team that's coming along with them. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm picturing how many of those times similar to that we've had, you know, after an event, before an event, just sneaking away in the middle of an event, and and just as a team, just uh, savoring and... And just taking it to the seriousness and the fun of, of being together in a huge mission. Well, it makes me think about Jesus and the
1: disciples and just the fact that so many times when he would go off to do something, the other guys stayed behind, and what were their conversations? And we see a little of that in Scripture, but we don't see all of it. And you know they had a blast being with each other. They were so different, so random in some ways, and yet the team— had to have joy and laughter and fun. I mean, these were fishermen. These were rough guys for the most part. And just imagining what they got to do and what they got to say and be a part of. And that's all behind the scenes for the most part.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. I remember when our earliest boot camps, we stayed in this very – Marginal cabin, no offense to the property, but it was squeaky in every way and you remember McConnell those beds like your bed actually squeaked when you snored <laughs> <laughs> okay it squeaked when you snored, it was so bad and and it finally, when it got quiet, you would hear and Animals would crawl <laughs> yeah. through the walls. And here we are thinking, like you're saying, Allie, you're up late to do all the logistics. You're you know, up early in the morning for prayer and then to put out so many fires. And our heads are spinning with all the logistics. And here we are in this crappy accommodation listening to the pitter-patter of mice running through the walls with these squeaky beds. And there was like, what? Two bathrooms, but yeah. one was in a private room. Yeah. Your bathroom. So then we had to go and Chief Blackheart.
0: Black Hawk. Black Blackheart. Heart, yeah. Chief
2: Blackheart looked at you when you were taking a whiz. <laughs> He's right above the toilet. Yeah. So we have to go through McConnell's room from our bunk beds and pee while Chief Blackheart sneers at you at a Ransom Heart <laughs> event. But I look back at the joy, the laughter, the stories of – it's almost like, Alan, I mean, as you're sharing that, like fruits of – war. You know, it's like the Mm -hmm. spoils of war in a way that joy comes because you're fighting heroically and for something that matters so much that the joy almost increases in the camaraderie.
0: Yes. It's almost frightening how quickly we can change gears from just really bearing down, bringing the kingdom, fighting for people and one another and just praying. And then tink, you know, we're just relaxed. I mean, chief blackhead uh <laughs> he had eyes like mona lisa it was oh, a, wherever you were in the room you. he was yeah we later learned that that was it warfare
2: was <laughs> <laughs> it was three years before john pete in that yeah. bathroom he goes why did someone remove the demon yeah. <laughs> i said "McConnell liked it
0: yeah well, i remember i think right next to the living quarters of this cabin was a costume oh. closet and oh, one nice. night I don't know what got into us, and we're all over there dressing up in the uh, uh, costumes, and we're cranking the stones. I'm your beast of burden, and dance party breaks out, you know.: John's oldest
2: son, Sam's there for his first boot camp, comes back with a duct tape dress. The entire <laughs> dress is made out of duct tape, and then Art, our sound man, comes in dancing.: Yeah. <laughs> he had a full parachute suit on it still had the hanger. And so he's dancing around with the hanger and we all look at each other and for a moment we went, everything is as it's supposed to be. Yes. This ragtag group of knuckleheads. Yeah. God is entrusting. I mean, back to your comment about the disciples. We are ragtag. We are knuckleheads. But our hearts are in the trim and we seem good enough to be entrusted with the kingdom of God, which is a crazy thought. But it's... Joy is essential. It was part of it.
1: Well, and Morgan, to that, you just think, like in the role I had before Ransomed Heart, I led a publishing team. Yeah. Well, that was fantastic. And I love being in a leadership role. However, I never got to have that fun with the team because it was almost like as the leader, when you walk into the room, everybody gets a little more serious. Everybody gets a little more focused because they want to say the right thing somehow it changes the atmosphere mm-hmm. as you come in as the leader. Where with the team itself there's a freedom and there's a flow. And so I'm getting to experience something new with you guys yeah. in that as being part of a intimate small team where everybody's you know, just running and charging the hill together, it is so much more beautiful than trying to strive to be the Lone Ranger or the the guy that makes it happen on his own. And that, to me, is just a beautiful new season to get to be part of a group yes. where there is no vying for control. Mm-hmm. There is no front man. It's just the team on a shared mission. Yes. So just the stories we're saying and just the chance to be a part of that, I don't know how many people get to do that, but it's worth everything.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you're naming... Alan, a core value Mm -hmm. that's shaped us since the early days that I don't know that we've ever put words to, but there is this value in Ransom Heart where the mission trumps the role. The Mm -hmm. mission takes precedence over any particular role, and it's not that our role is not unimportant. It's very important, but we all unite around the common mission first and foremost, and because we're small— And because we choose to invest in friendship, wouldn't you say there are many times where we find ourselves in a posture of all in, whatever it takes? Um, You know, just this morning, joking around with Polly as we're setting up for a women's event. And, you know, technically I'm not on the events team, but we're a man down with events with Alex post-surgery at home and... Polly's up there trying to huff these tables that are twice as big as her, and she'll never ask for help. Right. And next thing you know, we're just making fun of each other, and Brad's in there, and it's just it's joyful time. And it wasn't based on what our roles are as much as it's based on we're in an epic story, and we have this mission, yes. and we unite around that mission first.
0: Yes. One of the tenets, I think, is just... Realizing how much we have to fight for joy, and boy, there' are seasons when when we're not fighting for joy and and you feel the difference yes. but to to do things to be together, to have joy, whether it's our white elephant uh, get together or spontaneous foosball game, which usually takes me out actually <laughs> uh, but but joy is huge in our lives and and you know, whatever can create and sustain. And uh, affirm that in this mission. It just gives you motivation and hope and presence. I mean, how many times have we just laughed our butts off just being together and just telling stories, making fun of one another, catching one another's quirks and weaknesses and strengths and and participation? Yes.
1: Oh, I think of a story – one of the first events I got to do with you guys when I joined was South Africa. And before the event, we had actually gone on like a small safari, and you're in these <laughs> small cabins. Well, just at night, it's pitch black, and you hear wild animals, hyenas outside of your place. And so they paired everybody up. Well, the cabin I had, uh, I shared with Art, our sound guy. <laughs> and uh <laughs> <laughs> Why are we, we already left before I don't, we, know, I don't be, know the start. before or
2: after lemon pushes <laughs>
1: That's all I need to know so oh. we walk in and Art and I walk in together to this shared room <laughs> and we find out it's the honeymoon suite, and there's yes, one this is what I'm talking about one bed and uh. <laughs>
2: Those aren't pillows, Art. Those aren't pillows.
1: And you quickly get to know your teammates really fast when you're snuggled against the hyenas at night. But uh, no, I'm kidding, Art. But you just find yourself in the most wild, crazy places, opportunities, things to battle for, and things to just laugh, like you said, laugh your butts off with that you don't get to do when you're just doing life alone in whatever your calling is.
0: Yeah. I was in the mother-in-law suite, and I, I remember... The Venetian. <laughs> that's another story. I remember walking around the corner in South Africa in a hurry to uh, get to some meeting or something, and I come around the corner, and there's this... I thought it was Morgan. <laughs> Standed there. And it was this big old baboon. It just had Morgan's hat on. <laughs>
2: It's so funny. Think of these stories. We've been in some crazy places. I'll never forget the first Wild at Heart conference we ever did. Now, to protect the innocent, we're going to change some names, okay. change some locations. It's in Delaware. Right. In Delaware, we flew to another undisclosed location for a couple of days of R&R. Well, as you're talking about, Alan, the speaker, in this case was John, was yeah. cashed. And we didn't see him pretty much for two days, but we were spent— from all of the logistics and administration but we are also ready to play you know we didn't have probably that degree of warfare he had and so we're cracking up and and we're at this fancy place which was a gift to the team from someone that sponsored it and have a couple beers and next thing you know you know mcconnell's a tv guy he wants to flip a little late night letterman and maybe watch some da, baseball. Da, 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 so he puts on the tv and so i'm sitting there And just kind of kicking back. And next thing you know, I look at the TV and it's me. (laughs) And I go, whoa. And now I haven't had a lot of beers, but I've had enough beers to just be intrigued by the fact that it was me. And so then I start making motions. And before long, I start showing McConnell all my dance moves because I'm on the TV. And then McConnell looks at me and goes, you know, you're on surveillance. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> what I didn't realize, I'm on TV because somewhere in this compound, someone must be watching us. I was so wigged <laughs> out. I'm laying in my bunk at night thinking like, oh, no, are they watching me now? Are they watching me now? And we are just cracking up. But, Alan, as you said, like the joy, the joy of, of celebrating with a group of men that you have gone to war with. Yes. And you fought for a cause that's life and death. I mean, it is the soldier. It's in the kingdom of God. It's that warrior heart that just has to celebrate. But I think it's important to name because we can so often miss that we, in the name of efficiency, right? We trim off. We start ejecting happy hours or we cut a day out of an right. event that's right. team time in name of efficiency. And instead, that's really some of the most valuable time.
0: Absolutely. The part of the story Morgan didn't tell us when he saw that we were tuned into the surveillance cameras and that there were multiple cameras all over was he was really concerned that they saw him peeing in the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Let me go on record and say I didn't
2: pee in the pool, Mr. Stan Welchner, (laughs) and you're Kevin.
1: Do you think that most men get to experience what we're talking about in their day-to-day Craig, would you say is that common
0: or is that rare when a man's in his calling
1: and doing his
0: job each day? Well, I think a man who's living in his calling, you know, offering from giftedness and has a maturity, he needs joy. And he's probably offering joy, whether he's experiencing it in a corporate or a team setting or not. I mean, just to know Christ, to walk with him is to offer, to instigate, to initiate things that bring joy and life, I think most men's experience, your input there, Morgan and Alan, would be important, is that they probably don't experience a lot of that from their vocation, their work environment. I mean, my environment for 30-something years is as a pastor. (laughs) Yeah, the, most of those years, we didn't experience a lot of joy and the laughter and the fun. I mean, we're so concerned about our sanctification, our holiness and maturity that unless we're really, this would be my appraisal of the typical environment, unless we really feel safe or comfortable and that we know the environment we're in, as Morgan said, we edit and pinch mm-hmm. joy because mm-hmm. it's too risky to just kind of be out there yeah. and to be joy is, in some sense, to be vulnerable and real and mm. true. That's what makes it so joyful. I don't think that's most men's experience. Mm. You know, in our understanding of people and problems, there are primary problems that we have, mm. and then there are secondary problems. In every secondary problem, at its root and foundation, there's something mm. more primary to this. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to those category of primary problems that we deal with as people, the answer is never external, never, ever. Wow. So we get distracted by secondary problems, and the solution often is circumstantial. Yes. It is money. It is relationship. It is whatever. But the key is for a man to realize that ultimately my issue is is not the promotion – There's a primary issue beneath that, that ultimately only God can address or speak in some way, whether it's validation or coming as the father. So here's a thought when you
1: were saying that too, Craig, and that is your job, like only your company can only reward you or validate you through largely promotions or raises. But the cool thing about being part of a an intimate team working together is the validation is so much more real because it's at a soul level. Like the validation we get from each other has nothing to do with a job title or a raise, you know, a certificate Mm -hmm. that you get. It's life on life. And that seems to happen in the trenches where so many guys are just hungering for validation from the corporation or the company, which even when you get, It's pretty hollow.
2: Alan, would it be fair to say that even in the corporate model, throw yourself straight back into corporate America, what you're describing is still available, though, when you're living in the kingdom and you're living in the larger story in that context, even though it's the world of promotions and raises, there's a way to seek your validation and find a lot of that elsewhere in the context of the shared mission, the camaraderie. God.
1: Yeah. It's available, but I think it's so hard. It's such a matrix. I mean, I look back as you say that, and my heart gets really heavy because, like, I could have sought that out, but I remember, like, a period for several years where I was so inundated. The way to to get ahead was to get all the emails done, to get all the contracts done. And so I can remember coming in early in the morning, shutting the door with a note that just said, basically, don't come in, I'm busy, and would keep that note on till 5 and go home, and in the sense of being validated by the company, Mm. it was working. In the sense of stealing your soul from the team, it was working, (laughs) because... What I needed to be doing then was being in the trenches with my team, pouring into them, laughing, celebrating things, and even articulating and interpreting the failures. We didn't get the author signed. Well, let's talk about why. Let's interpret that. Not much of that was happening. So it's possible, but I think corporate America does not structure or reward that. So you really have to take
0: the road less traveled if you're going to do that. What's amazing is if an organization really validated in a true way its employees and the up-and-comers, they'd retain them a lot longer than just the promotions and the raises, you know. That's just not enough for a person, really. I mean, we think it is. Again, we think the solution to our problem is position and income. But people can exist with lower levels above Mm. for um, validation of their heart and their soul, their being, who they are.
2: Mm. You know, it's interesting. Wendell Berry was using the idea of a family farm compared to a corporate farm to basically describe, regardless of corporate talk a corporate farm can't have a soul because by definition it's run by economic policy and you lose the human interaction where they have to be numbers on a spreadsheet because that's how you evaluate your business processes and he said our humanity only has capacity to interact with so many people and so even if you you know are in a large environment you still can only you know interact with so many humans and as you say that what are the other ways of validating a person and there's just some gold of ransom heart with our size that by nature of being 12 or 13 the things that you're going after in this podcast like they happen because we're in a relational model but if we were 40 and we had the same values Mm -hmm. i don't know that we could accomplish it Mm -hmm. You know, because you lose that human interaction and in some ways the organization loses the soul. And so I just wonder like whether you're a church or a Fortune 500, when you get to a certain size, you have to have something that drives you. It's going to be the numbers at some point. You know what I mean? Like you can say it's other things, but when those numbers are in the red, then it will become the numbers.
0: Yeah. And I think size is one of those elements, Mark. And I think time is another Like my experience with uh, small groups Mm -hmm. in a thousand different settings is that the small group, though it's small and there's the opportunity for community and a lot of advantages that the limited size affords it, makes available, it seems almost inevitable that after X amount of time – Whatever the initial dynamic, vision, passion, Mm -hmm. energy was dissipates, Mm -hmm. and that synergy is lost. So it feels to me like, yes, size is one thing, and then essential in that size is some kind of redemptive disruption. Like, I'm not a farmer, if you guys didn't know that. (laughs) But I think of a a small farmer, the disruption of weather patterns – I mean, there's just built-in disruptions, things that violate kind of just a a pattern. I don't know what you call that pattern thing, but whether it's an organization or a small group, it feels like one of the things you have to fight is what I see happens over time is dissipation. Yes. And it feels like with the farm illustration, there are so many disruptions that – you remain close. You don't lose the original vision. It's not zeros, but it seems like another element. Yeah.
2: Craig, as you say that, there's another element that I wonder, too, that helps shape a culture of joy. Like you said, absolutely, we need to feel safe, and we've created a culture of safety. But I wonder, too, this question of our validation, of where we've seeded that, Mm. because, you know, for many years at Ransom Heart, My main function was a highly supportive role as an event coordinator, Mm -hmm. event director, helping run the administrative Mm -hmm. side of our events. And part of me thrived in it because some of my gifting was in there. And there was that joy, Alan, as you said, the camaraderie, the knowing that you're coming through for the king in ways that he doesn't even know to help make – this an environment where men can encounter God. Yes. And you only get to share that with the guys. You know, the king doesn't get to see a lot of that. But the guys in the trenches, they know it. Yeah. So there was a lot of joy. But there was also a piece of me in my wounded heart and lacking validation that was just always pining for the next season. Always mm-hmm. going, when will I get a chance mm-hmm. to be the speaker, to make more decisions, right? And so I could feel both of those people in me. But what's interesting... As soon as kind of the promotion, as it were, like happened, and I found myself formally at one event from being the event director to now mostly being a speaker, the predominant feeling was loss. Mm -hmm. It wasn't gain. It was the loss of I wasn't there on the Wednesday night. And I drove up with you guys and it was holy Mm -hmm. and it was right. Mm -hmm. But I felt loss. And the part that felt loss was – The part that was thriving because I was being validated in that role and it was the brokenness that was always reaching for the next season. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder, you know, at Ransom Heart, because we so seek to be validated by God, I think we have a disproportionate sense as a team that— We're in this for God, not for the king, and therefore we can serve the king in love, but it's not about our role. And we all find ourselves in kingly roles in the mission at various times, but mostly we're all in a higher support level Mm -hmm. to the primary king. Mm -hmm.
1: That's good, Morgan. And I think some guys, what may get in the way of that, I know for me, where I have to push through is when you find yourself in a supportive role, playing a role on the team, but then feeling somehow that there's a spirit of diminishment maybe Mm -hmm. that comes in, and those actually isolate you from the team. And my role here is to help with the content and the resources. Well, at the events, that role becomes overseeing kind of the on-site bookstore. Mm -hmm. And so all the resources are there. So you're the guy who largely unpacks the boxes that arrive at the camp and then help get everything on the tables. And then once the event starts – you're kind of the cashier, like you're there. That's what the feeling became was, man, you know, you guys are up speaking and you're doing the real work and you're doing the real kingdom work. I'm kind of here, you know, organizing books on a table and taking cash and and then reconciling it at the end of the day. I'm not really where the action is. I'm on the team, but uh, yeah, wow. And where God has really helped me reinterpret that, which is important on so many levels. It's important for my own heart, but it's important for the team as well, I think. And that is, all of a sudden, God spoke to me and said, are you kidding? You are able to talk to every person at the event yeah. in a way the speakers don't have an opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. Because almost everybody, by something, gets some resource, has some question at one of the mills where you're standing there at the resource table you get to have one, two, three, five minutes with almost everybody and use that as a time to pour into them, to pray for them, to go deeper with them, even if it's just a few minutes. Well, that changed for me everything in terms of not only how I approached those days, those hours there, but how I saw my role on the team. And so I think for a lot of guys, maybe one of the first steps is, to understand the reason God's given you the role on the team he has and how to rise into that with a strength. Because, yeah, there's joy, but there's also a real strength in specific things each of
0: us are called, gifted, asked to do, invited to do by God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you were talking, you know, I can literally see in my mind's eye, you're constantly ministering to people, talking to people. Before you were on staff, we were doing a boot camp, and I sat across from you at lunch. I don't know if we'd spent a lot of time together prior to that. Not a lot. And I forget how you got there, but you just undressed me spiritually over the course of a meal, just asking some of the most probing but appropriate and fitting questions that I recall just had me in tears took me to the Father in a new way over lunch. And you do that here on the staff. And at a boot camp, yeah, yeah, I'm up on stage, and it's glorious, and, you know, the applause. It's shining. (laughs) But when it comes to touching lives and speaking into people's lives, you're just one of the main players. You're doing it. You are doing it. And what's cool about what God's doing in your life Alan, is he's providing other opportunities for you to be the speaker mm-hmm. and to offer at this stage in this chapter in your story, to offer the sagely and kingly insight that another in context you may not have. But God's opening up doors because you are called, you have an anointing, you have a message, but it's on a foundation of just going after people's hearts. Anyway, all that to say is Gosh, you have such a role. And I guess for listeners to know, to understand, to hear from God, to put the pieces of the puzzle of their life and the unfolding training and story and call of God, to realize that eight to five, it may be minimal, but I have opportunities just to shine and to offer, to be who I am and give what I've got.
1: Yes, and now I love that. Like at events, I can't wait to have it begin where I'm at the resource area. And it's like what the enemy had tried to derail. Now I love and truly like that to me is the most joy I have at an event is engaging with all the people one-on-one. And so just if you're listening, I would say when you're part of a team, don't let the enemy diminish what you do. Or don't let him stir up this desire of, well, I'll really be able to contribute once I'm at this level or once I'm leading the charge. Because being on that team, that's the most joy so many times. It's not moving to some higher position as much as it is savoring where God has you.
2: Alan, as you share that story, I can very much relate to the tension in being in a support role and will you choose to— fight for joy or will you have an interpretation that keeps you from it. Mm -hmm. And in my heart, I just go, God, what are the pieces that most help me fight for it? And Craig, you mentioned the biggest one of hearing from God. Mm -hmm. I must hear from God. God, what do you have to say about my role? What do you have to say about the season? What do you have to say about my mission here? Those words of validation carry so much. And Alan, as you mentioned, I have to do the warfare. What is said against me, particularly in the ransom heart culture, that diminishment is a huge spirit that we have to fight daily, fight around every event. But when we do the warfare, it changes our emotional experience in a support role. So that's huge. And then the third part is to grow in understanding authority. I think that's been so huge for me in a middle manager role. I'll just name it. You know, it's the story of the centurion soldier where Jesus was astonished by this man. And, and ultimately, he's astonished by this man's faith and its faith in understanding how authority works. And there's just something in a man that doesn't want to be under authority. And I can feel that. Of well, Okay, when I'm king, when I'm king, right? There's this pining to be the guy in charge when the reality of the kingdom model is we'll always be under authority. Right. We're under God's authority, and a holy man is always willfully submitting to the leadership of others in any stage. Mm-hmm. And so we will always be a man in authority and under authority. And when I embrace that, and that's what shifted deep in my heart is in this role of praying daily for my kings— Praying for them to have favor of God upon them and for me to have the favor of God through them, it's really shifted. Mm -hmm. And so all that to say is I really think those three pieces, hearing from God, doing the warfare, and understanding a worldview that's built upon authority and the favor that God brings through kings has really helped to fight for that life in middle management.
1: Well, and as you follow God, to your first point of just hearing from God and inviting him in, as you walk with God and follow him into these adventures, he'll invite you into counterintuitive places. I mean, it'll look like maybe corporately you're going down the ladder or you're taking a lateral move when everybody else is rising quickly. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you look in scripture, that's so often where God's key men and women, when he would take them into sonship or invite them to be his daughter on a deeper level, it wasn't from a career path what would seem the next step up. And I love in Exodus 33 when Moses is having this very intimate conversation with God. And God says, hey, my presence will be with you, and I'll see you through on this journey to the end. And and I love how Moses just stops and says, if your presence doesn't happen here, if you don't take the lead here, call the whole trip off right now. Because how else will I know you're with me in this and with your people if you're not with me? So if you're not going to be a part of it, if you're not going to lead in this, if it's just me, let's just call it all off. Mm. And that's really what I hunger for now is in the times of intimacy with God. It's, God, if you're in this, I'm in it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what role you have me in. Because Mm -hmm. if we're doing it together, I'm all in. Mm -hmm. But if you're not in it, let's call it off right now. Let me get with you wherever you are. And that just takes the focus off of, well, when will I get to do this? Or when do I become a king? And it's much more about going, I just want to enjoy your presence, God. That's Mm. the holy ground. That's the mission I want to be on. Mm. Morgan and Craig, that is so good. And I've so enjoyed this conversation today because it's just when you're on a team with guys, you would take a bullet far, charge a hill with It just makes all the difference in the world. So I just want to thank you guys for who you are and getting to do this together. And if you're listening to this, I just want to invite you into the more that Ransomed Heart offers. Come to RansomedHeart.com. We have so many resources. Mm -hmm. We have so much available. And our heart is just that you would walk deeper into your fellowship with God, deeper into your calling and the team that you're on to bring life to those around you. And here's a little
0: bit more. So last year, the staff Christmas party, we decide to have a talent show. <laughs> of course, everyone is, you know, doing hymns and dressed Very up like. Very team. Yeah, Very incredibly talented. talented joy abundant, and uh, poetry, poetry, yeah, miming, choirs, all Chela. of that, and more. And Alan, our beloved Alan, steps forward. It's his moment to show off. And how many jars of extra hot salsa was it, too? Well, they were two very large, extra large yeah. jars.
2: Well, and it was green and red for the holiday season to match his elf tights. Come on. So he,
0: <laughs> his talent was just chugging two giant Costco-sized jars of salsa Ooh, in a minute. With a Mountain Dew Chaser. You remember we were laughing at first? And then the joy transition to silence, and who's he privat- going to barf on? <laughs> Concerned <laughs> self-protection. <laughs> That's a a little bit of the more. Hey, catch us next week. <laughs>